Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking on Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. More importantly, for this conversation at least, it's the fourth day of the new school year for most New York City public school students. But principals and other school administrators and supervisors have, of course, been working throughout most of the summer to prepare for this new school year. And those preparations for school reopening have been particularly tumultuous yet again this year as administrators have been dealing with an uncertain school budget picture, including hundreds of millions of dollars in cuts to school budgets, which the administration of Mayor Eric Adams has tied to student enrollment drops. But those cuts have been protested, they are still being debated, and they are being litigated. However, the school year has begun with significant cuts to many school budgets. We're speaking here on the show today about the start of the new school year, which is the first full school year under Mayor Adams and his new schools chancellor, David Banks, who leads the New York City Department of Education. And a variety of important pieces of the puzzle for the new school year. And my guest in just a moment is Mark Canazaro, the president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators, the CSA. That's the labor union for principals and other school administrators and supervisors. For a little more context about key moving pieces here, there's the battle over school budgets. There's the implications of those cuts to many schools related to staffing levels. There's questions about continued drops in student enrollment from New York City public schools and the complicated picture there. Some hopes for increases this year as we're, quote unquote, coming out of the pandemic. There is, of course, COVID and the removal of most COVID precautions and much more. Mayoral control of New York City schools was extended for two years in June by the state That gives Mayor Eric Adams a couple of years to control the school system, uh, more or less unchanged from the the system that's been in place for a couple of decades now. However, the state did make some changes to the makeup of the panel for educational policy that dilutes the mayor's power there a bit and allows for more representation from other entities, including parents. And at the same time, the legislature passed a bill to require smaller class sizes across the board in New York City public schools. And while Mayor Adams opposed it, Governor Hochul has now signed it with a one-year delay on implementation, meaning that as the planning gets going for that, it must be fully phased in for 2028. And the mayor is previewing a big state budget discussion about that come early next year and questions around whether he will be pursuing more state funding to meet the new class size numbers. As I said, COVID precautions are mostly removed in what is now the fourth school year dealing with this virus, and COVID vaccination rates among youth in the city are quite low. We'll talk to Mark Conazaro about that in just a minute, as well as many of these other pieces of the puzzle. Just very quickly, if you missed any of our other recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. In a one-two punch here of episodes about the new school year, we did a broad survey discussion with Alex Zimmerman of Chalkbeat New York, who covers schools quite closely for the great nonprofit education news site, Chalkbeat. So check that one out as well, along with this discussion with Mark Canazaro. And then we've had a bunch of other really interesting and good political conversations with elected officials, candidates, and others about redistricting of the New York City Council 
map, uh, State Senator Gustavo Rivera about winning a very close primary election uh, where he was almost unseated and many others. So find those again, wherever you get your podcast or at the Gotham Gazette website. All right. So the new mayor, the new chancellor, they're starting to put their imprint on the school system. They've removed those COVID protocols. They've made these choices around school budgets. They've got a renewed focus on literacy and reading, new school safety plans, more attention on internships and career and technical education and other pieces of their developing vision. So with all these issues on the table, let's bring in Mark Canazaro, the president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators. Mark, thank you for being here. How are you? Good afternoon. I am great. Thanks uh, for having me. It's nice to speak to you again. Great to speak with you again as well. So early in the school year, really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us and, and our listeners and New Yorkers about uh, about how the school year is starting and, and the big issues at play. So big picture here. You have many, many members of your uh, of your union uh, lots of different dynamics going on at, at various schools, of course. It's very hard to sort of sum everything up. But how would you, initial impressions of how the school year started, what are you hearing from your members? How how are things going so far? Yeah, so very broadly, um, I think things have started off a lot smoother than the past two years. Um, I wouldn't say we're back to pre-pandemic uh, type of type of organization, but we are certainly uh, optimistic because we started out a lot smoother than the previous two. Mm. And what are some things you're hearing, uh, let's say, on on the positive side from some of your members? And what are some of the biggest challenges as the school year has started? Maybe uh, one or two of each for us. Sure. On the positive side, it is that they were able to have a pretty good handle on knowing who the students were that were coming into their buildings um, this year. So they knew which students would be reporting. There wasn't too many surprises um, regarding over-the-counter and and or um, students that were discharged. Uh, it was it was more uh, back to pre-pandemic levels in in that um, in, in that uh, area as far as not not numbers, but as as far as how many students actually were unknown coming in. Mm. Um, so that allowed them to start the school year off um, with with teaching and learning on day one. I, I visited a couple of schools, and you know you walked into a classroom and it looked like uh, you know mid September or late September rather than the first day of school. So that was very exciting and rewarding. Um, I think you touched on a lot of of the challenges that people are facing. You know, it is the um, the budget, the budget uh, concerns. It was hiring some staff. You know, a, a number of people had a, a hard time hiring people, especially since there was a, a freeze on Common Branch, which is the elementary school uh, teachers. There was a freeze on hiring them while the, the department was hoping us for, you know, people to hire, um, you know, people that were already hired, but yet not needed um, in other schools. They were looking for the excess from other schools to be hired first. So we did have a number of people saying, hey, I, I need some teachers and it's getting late um, and I've been unable to find them. But the department has been extremely responsive uh, when we've been notified and we've reached out. They've been extremely responsive uh, to helping people find find teachers to to staff their schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, say say a little bit more about that one. I was going to ask you about that specifically if you didn't bring it up. So so with the shifts in budgets and their and the New York City Comptroller Brad Lander has estimated about three quarters of city schools are seeing some 
uh, budget reduction and the total is is roughly 372 million in, in school uh, budget cuts. Some of the other schools, the other quarter schools are seeing increases in, in their budgets based on enrollment numbers. But um, in terms of of school administrators and principals being able to um, to staff their schools, how the, the schools where they've seen reductions and the excessing of teachers, how is that going? What's your impression of whether that's had a, a major negative impact on how schools have started the year? Well, you know, when you talk about schools that have had a reduction, not every one of those schools are in a situation of excessing. Some of them might have lost um, a, a group of students and maybe there was some attrition, whether it was through retirement or, or people moving on for other reasons. Um, so in those cases, um, those schools were fine. In other cases where where people, you know, had to be accessed or principals had to access teachers. Some of them were picked up in other schools. Others were able to finally be absorbed by those schools. And the department, um, you know, although there were these cuts, they, they did allocate funding for budget appeal. So some people were in a budget appeal situation where they were unable to access someone yet unable to afford them as at, at the same time. And the department was pretty responsive to our budget appeals. And most people, People were um, satisfied with with what they received. And and when I say most, there are always some one offs and and those folks, you know, we're still dealing with. And my executive vice president, Henry Rubio, has been on top of that and making sure that, you know, schools have what they need to open. Mm -hmm. And what about this issue where we you know, we've seen these these. uh, You know, sort of anecdotal one off reports, but there's, you know, a number of them about schools having to make these really challenging choices about arts and music teachers and, and, you know, different sort of programming like that. What's your impression of, of how that piece of the puzzle is, is going in terms of sort of enrichment programming and, you know, p- pieces of the school puzzle that are obviously seen as, as very core important parts of, of schools and, and student experience, um, but that are not the, you know, the traditional core subjects. What, uh, how, how is that going? Well, the the majority of things like that I've been hearing were more for like after school type programs, enrichment programs. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard a ton of people losing their, you know, in-house arts teachers. And if they are, they need to reach out to us um, for support. But some of the after school programs have caused a little bit of, um, you know, consternation among folks. Uh, I did hear from a principal who said, hey, um, you know, I had a family, I had a family uh, opt for another school because I wasn't able to guarantee them the after school program that I normally um, host. Yet that principal did feel that she would be able to open that program once the year got started and, and you know, budgets shook out a little bit, but she was unable to, to guarantee it. And one of her uh, families left. So there are, you know, some one-offs like that, but as far as, you know, losing a critical during the day subject area, like I said, the DOE has been pretty responsive in helping us. And if, and if somebody out there needs some help, they should be reaching out to us. And so am I getting it right that your general sense is that the the budget cuts and the enrollment numbers for the most part are it it's going the adjustment is challenging in some ways but is going fairly smoothly? Yes, I mean look, you know, when when the budgets are cut uh it, it, you you always you always lose something and you miss something um and we're always concerned. But right now, with the COVID relief dollars that are, are still available, when we've reached out, 
you know, we've been able to to um, at least make things, um, you know, good enough for, for people to be comfortable in their school. So I, I think you hit it on the head. Yes, there are some challenges and it could always be better, but it is going a little bit smoother. It's going a lot smoother than it has the last two years and, and a little bit smoother than I even anticipated right now. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I know you're saying some of those appeals are, are part of the process as well. Um, and are you getting reports from uh, from principals that uh, some of the shifting around of um, teachers ha- is creating challenges in terms of uh, larger class sizes at a lot of these schools or or is it uh, as I was getting at, are, are the are the sort of the numbers working out mostly OK? Well, I mean, so there are definitely some larger class sizes. And the other piece of that is is much of this, um, these adjustments that I was talking about that made things livable came very late. So mm. because of those things, there was some confusion. And yes, class sizes in some places is going up compared to the last two years. But that's mainly because class sizes were down the last two years um, through the pandemic, where um, all of the teachers were subsidized by the Department of Education and, and there were no cuts even when enrollment was down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let's zoom back out for a minute. Uh, how's the new mayor and the new chancellor doing? How's the communication with you? How is your input being received? Um, obviously, it's very tricky how it works where a, a new mayor uh, will come in to start their term in the middle of a school year. Um, that's just the way it goes. But uh, so, you know, it was sort of just uh, get through the school year with the new mayor and the new chancellor, I assume, uh, for last school year. But now you have a new school year starting and, and they've been in office for some time, still only, uh, you know, eight, eight and a half months here. But um How's it going with the new mayor and the new chancellor in terms of communication, accepting your input? Uh, how are you feeling about those relationships? It's so so I, I think you also you, that was pretty accurate what you said. You know, the, the first few months, I, I think we give them a pass. They walked in and during the pandemic and we had a big um, spike in the with the Omicron virus when they when they first walked mm-hmm. in the door. And and I think the litmus test is this school year. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like the honeymoon was then and, and now uh, we need to see some progress. Um, the communication with the chancellor has been excellent um it's it's and we like what what he says and we like what we hear um but but now is the big job right now is the big job of of making sure that that his philosophy is trickling down through the department of education and actually being felt at the schools um we're not quite there yet we're beginning to get there i think but we're, we're not quite there yet but if he continues along this path and continues to communicate the same things consistently to his team as he's been communicating to the principals and to the and to the csa um i'm i'm you know cautiously optimistic there mm. What is it that you like that you hear from Chancellor Banks? Um, you know, he's obviously come in with this focus of saying there's a bit too much bloat at, at DOE Central, at Tweed head, uh, headquarters at the courthouse, uh, that he wants to get more you know, resources directly into schools. That That's probably music to your ears. Um, but w- what else what else do you like that you've heard from the new chancellor? Um, you know, he's talking about school safety, which has mm-hmm. been 
priority for ours. Um, you know, we, we strongly believe, and I don't think it's in dispute that when students don't feel safe, it's very difficult for them to learn. Um, so, so school safety is, is a critical piece. And we've been, you know, communicating regularly with, with the school safety piece. He understands that, um, you know, any change that's really going to happen is going to happen at the school level. So he needs to give principals some discretion to make the decisions that they think are best. I mean, they're in the best position to to see firsthand what's going on and, and um, you know, adjust accordingly. So, um, you know, between the principal discretion and school safety and, and of course, you know, the, the focus on on reading and, um, mm. you know, academics, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's all positive. It's all positive in, in our opinion. And um, again, the, 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 the more difficult thing is, is though, you know, actually implementing these these ideas. What does your uh, union want to see on school safety and um, and related issues? You know, what are the what are the top priorities? Um, what do you what are you hopeful about from Chancellor Banks? And what are you looking for more or less of from, you know, from the support in the DOE? Yeah. You know, on, on the first day of school, um, I visited a couple of sites uh, with the chancellor, actually. And um, I went to Eagle Academy in, in Brooklyn at the end of the school day. And we had a little round table with students. And the chancellor actually asked the question, you know, what does the school system need? And this young man from Eagle Academy said, you know, we, we need student deportment, student discipline. Uh, you know, you can't just let everyone do what they want and, and expect to be able to be in a, in a good learning environment. And that, that was so nice to hear from, from a student. But what we're looking for, again, is, is the ability to use our discretion within the, the school discipline code. Um, we're all for restorative practices. Um, sometimes the restorative practices can come, out, come without any discipline. Sometimes they may need to come, you know, in conjunction with with some discipline. Um, and, and again, the, the principal needs to be the one that's able to make that decision based on the circumstances um, surrounding surrounding the particular issue. Um, so and are you, that, and are, yeah. And, and when you say some discipline, are you talking about more use of suspensions that we've seen drop so significantly over the last number of years? If, if necessary, that's certainly something we try to use sparingly and um, as somewhat of a last resort. Um, but if necessary, uh, yes, uh, you know, sometimes that, that does need to happen. Um, we're also in support of, of hiring, you know, school safety agents back to the levels that they were pre-pandemic. You know, school safety agents aren't only there um, for, for discipline. Some of our safety agents strike up good relationships with students where students are willing to talk to them and let them know what might be going on in the school. Um, if, if, if there is going to be an issue between others, sometimes a student will whisper it to a safety agent. There's the communication. And then there's the presence, you know, before and after school, outside around the perimeter of the building. All of those things contribute to a, a, a safe environment. And, you know, having, having good, solid agents who are there to support the climate in the school and to be part of the fabric of the school has always been a positive in my experience uh, as, as a principal myself for 10 years. Mm. Um, what do you, what do you make of this discussion about locked school doors? What's, you know, what's your take on any changes that should be made? Is it a matter of, uh, 
more regular checks to make sure that all locks are working and that all doors are being closed other than the, you know, at closed and locked during the day, other than the front door of a school? What, what's, what's your stance on that discussion and, and this potential discussion of even locking those main entrances? Yeah, we, we, we first of all, yes, every, every school door currently, other than the, the main entrance, is and should be locked and should be checked. And that's another job that our safety agents do on a regular basis when they um, walk the building and they, they double check to make sure that the doors are secured. But we support locking the front door once the students are in as well. Um, most other districts in, in the tri-state area, if you go visit the school, um, the, the front door is locked and you're, you're buzzed in. So there is somebody available near the front door somewhere, um, a camera on the outside, you buzz, and they, they sort of uh, try to vet the person before letting them in. Um, and that's just one more level of security. It's certainly not a cure-all, but it's just one more level of security um, in, in order to try to protect the building. Mm-hmm. And so your your stance is that the necessary infrastructure funding and and upgrades and changes should be prioritized to make that possible in a reasonable time frame. Absolutely. There's nothing more important than being able to to keep the kids safe. And every parent that sends their child to school sends that child expecting that they're going to return home safely. Um, And, you know, we shouldn't even have to be having this conversation. Um, But but obviously, uh, because of recent history, we we certainly do have to have this conversation and and we support locking the front door of the building as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, speaking of school safety, uh, COVID protocols, as I said a couple of times already, uh, largely removed here. How are you and, and the union feeling about that? Is there anything that you pushed for that wasn't done, things you wanted to keep in place, anything, you know, you're eyeing very closely about perhaps lobbying for some sort of change from what the current uh, protocols are now, which, as I said, is is largely, uh, you know, none. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we've taken the position since the beginning of, of this that um, there are people better positioned to make these decisions than us, mainly the, the medical professionals. And, and we've, you know, um, used, used their advice and, and gone with the, you know, CDC recommendations as well as, as well as the New York city health department's recommendations, um, for these. And, and look, it's, it's obvious that we do have some medical advancements between the vaccines and, and treatment of COVID. And, and it does seem right now that, um, you know, we're in a, in a pretty good place. So um, we are okay with all of the, um, you know, changes. It, it actually allows the schools to run a little bit smoother. Uh, however, you know, we, we always keep an eye on these things. And if, if there seems to be a, an outbreak and, and people are getting sick, we would certainly revisit and, and talk about, you know, potential ideas to, to mitigate. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. How, how are schools doing? Uh, you know, this goes back to the, the staffing and budgeting questions, but how are schools doing in terms of, um, guidance counselors, social workers, being able to staff up in those positions, um, you know, obviously having more of a sense of normalcy coming into this school year finally uh, is, a, is a huge boost to lots of uh, education professionals and students and families. But uh, the city has been through so much. So many students have lost caregivers or loved ones of other kinds. Uh, school uh, staff members have have obviously been through so much and many also losing uh, loved ones. 
Um, how, how are school communities doing on on that front in terms of both staffing and sort of the the general approach to understanding that while there's there's a lot of focus on academic needs and and challenges around you know quote unquote learning loss of the last few years, there's also these these really big uh, social emotional challenges and needs among school communities. Yeah, I mean. You, you know, we, we have this saying, right, you can't teach them until you reach them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the challenges, the social emotional challenges uh, have always been there, but they have been, uh, you know, exacerbated greatly uh, due to the pandemic and, and illness and loss. And, um, and, and, you know, and not only people that have lost family members, people that have lost jobs. So there's economic insecurity and just so many different things coming our way and then trying to get students back into a routine of school as well after having sort of interrupted education for the last two plus years is is a a, a real challenge and um we're we're kind of uneven as far as um schools being equipped with enough guidance counselors and and so on um most schools seem to be reporting to be doing okay with that but schools that lost guidance counselors recently to retirement or or other reasons some of them are reaching out that they're having a hard time finding uh candidates to come in mm-hmm. so um, you know, th- that's probably the biggest challenge, the, the folks that had people that they've recently lost and, and replacing them. So I-, I think for the most part, the staffing is there. It's this challenge of figuring out each child's need and, and trying to address it. Um, th- that- that's-, that's the big challenge right now. And-, and that's really the work that needs to be done. Mm. And speaking of that connected issue of, of the academics, um, is the programming in place and the funding in place to try to help students who have, um, you know, significantly sort of lost ground on academics? You know, you, you, every classroom obviously has all sorts of uh, mixes of students in so many ways, including, uh, you know, sort of academic levels and, and ability to keep up with the work and, and so on. Um, but even more so now, uh, it seems that coming out of COVID and all the remote learning and the challenges around that and, and these other issues that we've already spoken about um, that have touched families differently. Is is the programming there to help students who need to, you know, get extra help, get more caught up? Is that is that there or is that uh, something of a blind spot for this new administration? It, again, that's, you know, it, it's it's uneven, but that is something where you're going to find some of these um cuts to budgets. And, you know, we're talking about more cuts going forward. I just read in the paper today, um, more cuts going forward. Those are the type of things that in some schools we may find, you know, a a bit of a, a bit of a weakness or blind spot, as you put it, um, where we're looking for, you know, the, the supplemental instruction, the after-school programming, the maybe further reduced class size for students that are really struggling. Uh, those are the areas I, I think where some schools are going to experience a, a little bit of a void. Hmm. We're in our last uh, few minutes here uh, with Mark Canazaro, the president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators, the CSA, the union representing principals and other school leaders and, and supervisors uh, speaking here on Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. You're listening to Max Politics. We're talking here on what is the fourth day of school for most of the city's roughly one million uh, public school students. 
uh, and their their teachers and principals and other school professionals. Although, as I said in the opening, many of those school professionals, of course, working through much of the summer preparing for the school year. Mark, I, I appreciate the time. There's a couple of last questions for you. Um, what, uh, what, what do you make? You, you just mentioned class size. Uh, what do you make of this, of this new law that uh, the governor signed, as I said, in the intro, giving a, an extra year for implementation to, to 2028, but there's going to, there are now new state restrictions that are going to be implemented on, on class sizes across the board in New York city. Uh, just as a as a quick refresher for everybody, the legislation will cap classes at 20 students in kindergarten through third grade, 23 students, grades four to eight, and 25 students for high school classes. Uh, what, do, what do you make of that? And what are your biggest uh, positives and negatives on this one, if you have some of each? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think concerns. the concerns. Sure. The biggest positive, obviously, um, you know, is... Uh, the, the fewer students in a class, the more attention the teacher can give each child. Um, you know, e- every teacher I've spoken to throughout my career, uh, you know, if you ask them for, for something that that they would need or would like, somewhere in that list is always, you know, fewer students in order to, to give each child more attention. So uh, that is certainly a positive. But look, there, there are definitely some concerns and, and I'm worried that our members end up holding the bag here because in order to reduce class size, especially as far as they are talking about, um, you know, those numbers you mentioned in in order to do that, there's going to be a significant, there has to be a significant increase in funding going directly to schools um, because it's it's unacceptable if it's going to come with having to lose services in other areas. Um, And the state, right now is saying the city has the money. The city right now is saying mm-hmm. that they don't have the money. Mm-hmm. I could tell you for sure, principals don't have the dollars currently to reduce class size, um, you know, to, to comply with the law. So, you know, I've seen this before, right? Where, where Mayor de Blasio said, every child is going to be six feet away from the other child in, in school during the pandemic. And knowing that would be completely impossible to pull off, um, you know, and, and sort of dumping that in the laps of principals. Now, if we're going to dump in the laps of principals that they're going to comply with this class size, um, it, that's, that's going to be an, an impossible mandate. So I'm, urging the our, our, our mayor and governor and whomever else it is gets together and decides how this funding is going to get to schools, because the only way we're going to be able to impl- implement it is with the money. And then once we have the money, we have the space issue as well. And many, many schools uh, do not have the space uh, mm-hmm. to create uh, that type of class size environment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the most interesting thing to me. Uh, and there are a bunch of caveats in the law. There's ways that there might be exceptions to some of this. There is, as as I said, the multi-year phase in so that they need to develop that plan that you're talking about. But to me, that's that's one of the biggest questions is is school space. And that's obviously accounted for somewhat in the law. But when you're when you're talking about you know, needing to build new schools, uh, that, that, that's a big endeavor. And, and that gets at, you know, a whole new avenue of, of capital funding and, and questions around that. So, you know, there, there's some serious questions there about school space. And then that also winds up getting at how students, you know, are admitted to schools and district lines and all sorts of, of thorny issues. So that's going to be, uh, 
you know, a, a lot of details to, to work out there. Any, any other thoughts on that one of, of a few of the things I just mentioned there, because the, the, the district lines, you know, there's been, as you well know, of course, uh, and, and many listeners probably know, there's been a lot of changes to admissions practices. Some of those, the Adams administration is reevaluating, but, you know, those tie in again with, you know, how student populations are uh, divvied up across the uh, nearly 2000 schools in the city. Right. Well, when it comes to admissions and, and we've seen this over the last several years, that's a hot button issue with families. And, you know, if if all of a sudden you're taking a, a very popular school where many families would like to send their children or many children would like to attend and you're reducing the size or the capacity of that building, you know, by 30 or 40 percent, you're going to have some some unhappy people and you don't want to lose more students from the public school system. So that's going to be a, a huge piece. And then there's always going to be the conflict of, of existing buildings on what space is sufficient and available for uh, classes and which space is not. And, you know, that's a debate that that I don't want to have to get into on a you know, school by school basis uh, in, in order to, you know, who's giving up space for, for a classroom that could squeeze a few kids into it. So um, there, there are certainly a, there's going to be a lot to be worked out here. And, you know, look, one of the frustrations is these laws are passed without first looking at all of these things and, um, you know, coming up with a plan. So the, the plan right now is going to be worked out between the unions and the Department of Education. But the law says that there has to be a plan. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, if I, if, if, if you ask me to set a plan forth for me to be able to run a four minute mile in a week mm. or a month or five years mm. from now, yeah, I'll make the plan, but I'm still not going to run the four minute mile. Mm. Interesting, ominous words there. Uh, we'll see how it goes when they, when they lock all of you in that room to make that plan and, and figure that path forward. Um, when I know I have guests on, I sometimes put out a little call on social media for questions. One that I got uh, in that we uh, haven't gotten to, uh, several of the responses were about some of these issues that have been in the news a lot that um, that I've asked you about. But one I got was asking about what, what CSA is doing to educate principals and administrators more about LGBTQ plus students' needs and support offering uh, being offered to principals around that and how the LGBTQ caucus in the in the union is is involved. Uh, any any insights on that on those questions for us? Sure. Um, we, we have a professional development arm of the CSA. It's called the Executive Leadership Institute, and we have several offerings um, for school leaders. Um, for, you know, addressing the issues of the LGBTQ community in their schools. Um, our, our caucus has been coming up with different ideas where they, you know, they work with each other and they bounce best practices um, off each other. And they've also been doing, you know, quite a bit to, you know, educate others, you know, other CSA members, um, you know, at their meetings. So, you know, the meetings are open to everyone and, and lots of people attend. Um, and we've really had some some great, lively conversations there. And, and like I said, we also have um, some some workshops for anyone that would like to attend for um, better supporting the youth in their school buildings. Mm -hmm. And lastly, um, in closing, any any one thing right now that's sort of the the pressing issue that you are working um, with the Chancellor David Banks on 
that we haven't mentioned anything that's sort of a bug you're trying to put a bug in his ear uh you know that is a a csa priority that you're looking to have implemented whether it's it's short term medium term or long term that we haven't gotten to yeah absolutely um you know we've seen from Maya de Blasio and now continuing um, a, a big emphasis on early childhood education, um, you know, getting to the three and four year olds and, and bringing them into the fold and, uh, you know, sort of sort of getting them ready for kindergarten. And, and we have seen when students attend as three and four year olds, uh, their kindergarten teachers can certainly tell which children have been in school already and, and which have not. And, and we do believe that, you know, down the road, this will be paying dividends. But we've had this this ongoing issue with our early childhood educators who work um, in the in the community based organizations, because more than half of the students that attend pre-K and 3K are actually not in DOE buildings, but they're in these community-based organizations. And those folks are hardly paid even a living wage, um, in many cases, less than half of what their Department of Education colleagues are paid. And we've been on this crusade for the longest time. And, and, and right now, we actually, um, on the it, it, with the de Blasio administration, filed a lawsuit, which we expect to be heard um, in, a, in a few months from now. But we're really pushing for these educators to be recognized as the professionals they are. Um, so that's something that, that we will continue with both the mayor and the chancellor and, and hope to come to some sort of resolution, um, and it, preferably outside of the lawsuit. Okay. A good one to uh, to follow there in closing. Uh, Mark Canazzaro, uh, president of the Council of School Supervisors and Administrators, very much appreciate the time. Good luck with the new school year. Uh, stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Great speaking with you again. All right. Take care. 